Good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin. I serve here on the pastoral staff, and I fully realize that it is not a smart move to turn up your nose when being offered to hold a baby in front of a bunch of people. Not one of my moments that I really am proud of. Uh, Evan and Becky, I'm sorry. I would love to hold Millie later. Uh, I kind of, in my head, it was... There's, there's pastoral trauma of, of, uh, of, of parent-child dedication and, and from the past where you're holding the child and then all of a sudden they cry. And so it's like, if it's not broken, don't fix it was in my head, but then I am showed like, mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. All right. Maybe I'll do better with this morning's message here. Okay, uh, so this morning's message uh, might feel like four uh, short devotionals, kind of crammed together. There's going to be four points. Hopefully one of four connects with you. Um, if this is the major leagues and I end up batting 250, getting like one out of four hits, uh, I'm getting paid millions of dollars. And uh, so I'm really hoping for a one out of four here uh, from you this morning. Um, they're obviously all connected uh, to this morning's story. And uh, so hopefully these four, uh, at least one of them will, uh, will connect with you. Uh, we'll put up on the slide here the four uh, short devotionals that you're about to, to hear. Uh, the first is God is sovereign. We're going to start there. Then prayer is important. Pride is deadly. And God's word is resilient. So uh, for those of you who are just joining us, up until this point, we've, we've been looking at the book of Acts. Uh, and we've seen the Holy Spirit being poured out on believers. There's a great boldness to tell others of Christ's death and resurrection. But this has led to persecution First from the Jews, who, are, uh, who the early believers were breaking away from, uh, and then also from the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And the believers start to recognize that all people can receive the grace of Jesus and be saved. And yet, despite the persecution, people are rapidly coming to faith in Jesus and the word of God is spreading. So we're in Acts chapter 12. I like reading big chunks of scripture and it might be hard for you to hear, uh, but uh, uh, listen along. And if you want to follow along in your app or your Bible, it's Acts chapter 12. I'm reading from the NIV version. It's a longer chunk, so just settle in and enjoy the word of the Lord being read to you. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter as well. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. 
When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they, may be, that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and, Tyre, and, Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. <coughs> Sorry. Barry, I should have given you a heads up. (laughs) On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat at his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Someone's got to make a movie of this chapter. <laughs> wow. So, the, uh, the first mini devotional, God is Sovereign. Do you notice that, uh, that James dies and that Peter gets a miraculous, angelous, ex-escorted deliverance? <laughs> How in the world is that fair? Was the church only praying for Peter? And not James. Did God hear enough prayers for Peter to be saved, but didn't quite pray enough for James, so sorry. And if so, then how many prayers would be needed? Like, was there a tally that God had? Like, don't you think God would tell us what and how many prayers you need to be saved from prison or something? Like, at some point, this kind of just is like, okay, like, why in the world does James get head lopped off or whatever, and Peter gets this amazing story. So, first we need to recognize that God isn't playing games with us. Like, he's some heavenly puppeteer, or he's just using us for his joy and his sorrow to entertain himself. <laughs> Look what's happening to those little people. God, God isn't like that. God isn't playing games with us. Matthew 7, uh, 9 to 11 says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, you'll give him a snake? If you, though you are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is good. And God wants to give us good things. And I think it's safe to say that God knows what is best from his heavenly perspective. His will is good, even if we don't see it. So, in, in the story, here we have another martyrdom, a faithful follower of Jesus, James. He's, one of the, he's the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred, and he ends up dying for his faith. Stephen's already been martyred, and there we see the direct connection of the church growing. But here with James, we don't even get that much. We just hear that he dies, and then Peter gets this amazing movie script-type deliverance. I want to suggest that God's ways are higher than our ways, and sometimes we just don't understand Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we know that uh, Peter and James were both faithful to Christ to the point of their own death. And regardless of the outcome, obedience and faithfulness is the key. God is good, and he knows what is best even if we don't see the results. James was faithful, and we too need to be faithful and trust in God's goodness. One of my uh, favorite passages uh, was given to me from a former mentor, and it summarizes how I typically think about these kinds of of situations. It's it's the the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. For those of you who are VeggieTales fans, it's, it's the Rack Shack and Benny story. Daniel 3, 17 to 18 says this. This is them, them speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So, I believe God is going to save me. Little, like, asterisks by it. Little, you know. And if he doesn't, I'm still going to live a faithful life to God. And that's just trusting in his sovereignty and trusting in his goodness that he is about to do something higher than I know. I trust in God to do miracles, and even if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship faithfully. I can do this, uh, I believe, we can do this because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has defeated death, and in the end, he gets the final word. Whether someone's released from prison and someone else dies, I am responsible to be faithful and trust in God even if I don't see the results. Because there is a higher heavenly perspective that I just don't get to see. God is sovereign and he knows all. He is in control of all. He is powerful. He is good. I need to be faithful, even to the point of death, even if I don't get to see the results. So, that's devotional number one. Number two, prayer is important. There's this little line, Acts chapter 12, 5. The church was praying earnestly for him. Now, this, this word earnestly is a really key word. Uh, it's the same word that's used about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his death. There's, there's sweat-like blood coming down from his face. Uh, the author of Acts 
is also the author of, the, of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. This is, Luke is the author. And so he's using the same word, and, and, and there's kind of this connection here. Luke 22 is, is where it comes from. Father, this is Jesus. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's the words of Jesus. And an angel, here we have another angel connection. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus, he prayed more earnestly. Same word as we're looking at in Acts. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So this isn't your uh, quick before a meal prayer. This isn't your, your before you go to bed uh, uh, prayer, this, this quick little like, yep, this is a, your God, take care of things. This is the gather the church together, pull an all-nighter, cry, bow down, get on your hands and knees, and plead with God to do something. It's that type of prayer. And other cultures massively have us beat on this. We, me, are far too polite, proper, maybe apathetic, maybe doubtful. Do we earnestly pray? Does it, like, fully consume us? Literally, the word actually means stretched out. It means, like, it is fully stretched out prayer. Continuously reaching as far as possible prayer. I think that many of us are earnest. We are continually stretched and reaching as far as possible, but it's with our work schedules. It's with our family extracurricular activities. It's with school. It's with our relationships. I think there's lots of things other than prayer that we are earnestly stretched out about. Like when was the last time you felt stretched out about prayer? Sorry, I'm, I'm too busy praying. I don't have time to hang out with friends. I don't have time to watch Netflix. I need to drop out of school. I need to quit work because I am so earnestly praying. That's the intensity here that this word contains. Sweat like drops of blood from Jesus. Fully sold out. Fully stretched out. No matter what, 100% committed to, my, to God's ways, not my own. I will pray until I see things change. So, for those of you that are newer here, we're in a time of transition as a church for this, this past year. And I'm going to have a little transitional interjection here. So just for those of you who are familiar with our church and stuff, I have a question. Are we averse to really strong emotion? Are we averse to passion? We're okay with excitement, but sorrow or anger? So I've been challenged recently on this as our church has, has gone through this, this transition and the emotions that have, have come with it. For me, for us, I've been challenged. And an example is a, a public a service a few weeks ago. I think it was February 12th. And Reg came up here to speak. And he started crying right away. And Brenda came up and tried to console him and provided some context about their friend Micah and, and what all happened there. And then I came up, and I was trying to be helpful. But in so doing, I also took away from the rawness of that moment. And I know at least one person would have liked to see what the Spirit would have done if we just allowed that moment to linger. Maybe I came up and just put a hand on him, didn't say anything. 
What would have happened if we just allowed the emotion to flow? I came up, I lightened the mood, I took the energy away from that moment. And in so doing, I think I reflected the value of our church. That that type of raw emotion needs to be managed, maybe instead of let flow freely and appropriately. And so I would just submit to you, is that okay? Some will say, yeah, some will say, no, that's actually right, that's good, that maybe we do have this aversion to a strong emotion that needs to be managed. So I appreciate this challenge that I received from a, from a brother recently, and I apologize to them for, and thank them for pointing this out. In my discomfort or my need to manage the emotion, I, I, I stifled the spirit. And if I stifle the spirit in that, this person's life, I need to repent, and so I, I apologize to him. Even if my heart was to help the situation, to help Reg in that moment. This, this earnest prayer contains the full emotion of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In that moment, Peter didn't come over and, and crack a joke to lighten the mood. He allowed the full emotion to be allowed to flow from Jesus. So I, I think I struggle with this. I struggle with intense emotion. I'm, I'm a pretty steady guy. Like For those that know me, I'm pretty steady. But I think there may be something that our church also struggles with and can learn from here, or at least discern, to allow the Spirit to reveal himself through our passion, our emotional intensity, our joy, our sorrow, our anger, our empathy. So if, if this stirs in you, if what I'm saying in some ways stirs with you, play, pray about it and discern the role of emotion as a value or as a part of our church. What is that? How do we do that? How do we improve or be more comfortable maybe with that? Or maybe we need to just say, no, we're going to manage emotion. That's not, you know, that's what we need to do. I submit that to you to, for, for something that as, as I was working through this was, was convicting to me. To add to this, uh, 2 Samuel 12 uh, is a story where, where David is fasting and praying and repenting of his sin with Bathsheba so that their child wouldn't die. David did everything he could. All the emotion and all the intensity came out and the baby died and then when, Peter, or when David found out, he says, it says this, he got up from the ground and after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went out to the house of the Lord and worshipped. While the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows, maybe the Lord will be gracious and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And so back to this sovereignty of God connection. There's this tension between accepting God's sovereignty and praying earnestly. I'm not sure what to say here. I'm just, I'm just acknowledging it. I'm just putting it out there that there was kind of, there's some tension there that I probably have to talk a lot longer and figure a lot more out in my own life and in our church's life to, to describe that really quickly and briefly. So back to this passage, Peter is delivered. The church sees a miracle and they ask God for Peter to be delivered and he shows up at the prayer meeting. They can't believe it. What? <laughs> like, God actually responded and heard our prayers? Like, there's a surprise. What, we were actually praying in line with God's will and he delivered? Matthew 17, 20. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Such an encouraging verse following a, a story like this. And yet, we submit that to the sovereignty of God. 
uh, devotion three. Pride is deadly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, uh, but you have a massive irony here listed with Herod. So a, a Roman a, a church historian, Tacitus, uh, reports that he was wearing a robe of silver, like just pure silver. And when the sun hits it, there's this reflection in the eyes of the people that are worshiping him. He looked awesome. He was like the sun, like just this beautiful reflection from the outside. And inside, he is being eaten by worms. So again, this historian says that he died actually five days later. So it's likely that Luke is using a little bit of hyperbole here, exaggerating for effect. But still, the illustration, it illustrates the point dramatically. It's not about your outer appearance. It's what's inside that counts. Jesus highlights this to the Pharisees in the church, in the early Jewish tradition. Matthew 23, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. The goal as we follow Jesus is not to look good on the outside. It is to be pure. It is to be holy on the inside. And this, can, this comes from a life of repentance before God. This is called confession. This is where Herod lacked. As we acknowledge God's sovereignty and as we pray earnestly, we will recognize the lack of alignment of our ways with God's ways. And this is called sin. As we confess, we are washed clean, we are made right with God, but we know that we continually still sin. Confessing our lack of faithfulness to God transforms us, and that doesn't allow pride to grow inside of us. Confession will keep our insides clean. Number four, the word of God is resilient. At the end of this section, there's this little line, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. For those of you who have been with us through the preceding 12 chapters, there have been many times in Acts that included something like this. And so I went back and I read, and I found, I think most of them, I don't know if I found all of them, but uh, uh, projection guys, you can just uh, put them on the screen here. Um, After Peter and John were seized, uh, I, I won't read them all for the sake of time here. After praying... Uh, Acts 5, after praying when Peter and John were were released. Acts 5.14, after Ananias and Sapphira, um, more men were added, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts 6, after the flogging by the Sanhedrin. Acts 6.7, after figuring out food distribution. Acts 8.4 and 8, those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went, so there's great joy in that city after Stephen's martyrdom. After dealing with Simon the sorcerer, after Saul's conversion, after Peter heals a dead woman, uh, Acts 11, after believers were scattered, the hand was on them, and great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Sorry if I'm going too fast for the projection people. I'm skipping ahead here. And then we have this one in Acts 12, after Peter's release from prison, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. There is this, this continue, like people are coming to know the Lord. The word of God just keeps going, despite everything. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the opposition, the word of God spreads. 
Regardless of our circumstances, we can be assured that God's ways will be accomplished. We may not understand it here and now. It may come at our expense. We may be James and not Peter. But God's will and ways will be accomplished. The whole of Scripture shows this to us. From creation through sin, through the story of the Israelites, through Christ, the pouring out of the Spirit and final chapter where Christ returns and makes all things right, even those things, God will have the final word. Throughout the whole story, we see that God's ways will continue to spread his word and draw people to himself. The, the commentator that I used, is, his, name's, his last name is Fernando, and he just says, the word of God will continue to spread until the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Um, the context of that, let me read to you Matthew 24, the, the, the 6 to 14, the, the verses before that, and just see if this relates. See if this sounds familiar to anyone here in our day and age. If you hear of war, this is Jesus talking, if you hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquake in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over and persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At, this time, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations. And then the word. And then the end will come. I'm going to call up the worship team uh, now. Our church has gone through a, a lot in the last few years. But the word of God will continue to spread. The kingdom of God will continue to grow. I love having uh, uh, parent and child dedication up here as a, as a tangible sign of that. You're going to see baptism coming up at, in Easter. The kingdom of God will continue to grow. The gates of hell will not prevail. God is sovereign. Let us continue to pray earnestly. Let's confess our sin and keep our insides clean and continue to declare the resurrection of Jesus to the world. Amen.